0: ready? As my grandson would say, what'd you say, grandson? Game on. (laughs) All right, let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness, and thanks for your love, and your grace, and your mercy. You're so good to us. And so, Lord, today we just want to sit at your feet. We want to hear from you. We want to be led and directed by you. We want to give honor to you, And so Lord, help us just to do all of that, please, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So today, we are going to kind of um, break tradition a little bit, and we're going to talk about sort of the state, what I would call the state of the church 2023, all right? So, um, let me do this, I hope I don't embarrass anybody, but it's too late for that. If you started coming here within the last 12 months or if today is maybe the first time you've been here or anything like that would you please stand up right now? That's right. All right. Yeah. We'll get Okay, year and a half. Okay, year and a half. That's what I'm talking about. Always got to do that. Okay, so there's a couple reasons I want to... First of all, thank you for being here. Second of all, I think there's sometimes a thing when you're sort of the new kid in school, right? That you feel like you're the only one. Is that right? And so, really, the point I wanted to make is if you think you're the only one, you're not. Actually, the Lord is doing a a thing here, and I think part of why I want to sort of do a state of the church, if you will, is is because there are a lot of new people that I think have been brought here by the Lord, not by anybody's strategy or efforts or anything like that, but have been brought here by the Lord. And so um, that kind of brings us to where we are. So, as we talk about vision or direction or stuff like that, if you know me very well, you know that that's a little counter to who I am. I'm not a visionary necessarily. I'm just a guy that's trying to walk one step at a time and, and all of that. And, and yet, I want to not be negligent in that, right? And so, as you th- consider, how do you do church? And how should we as a church function? And how should decisions be made and all of that? There's generally two ways uh, churches go about answering this question, usually subconsciously, frankly. But there's generally two ways to address the question. One is, what should we do and how should we do it? Or where should we go and how should we get there? Right. That's one way to ask ask to direct a church. Another way is, what is God doing and how does He want us to get there? See the difference? It's subtle, but it's real. It's subtle, but it's real. And I think, I hope you get that. The second is the right answer, at least where I want us to be, okay? And so, um, as we attempt to understand that, I think we need to ask, where does God have us as a body today? Where is he? What's he doing? Where is he leading us? Who are we? Some of those sorts of things. And so I want to kind of just lay the groundwork for all that today a little bit. Is that fair? Think of it like this. I'm the guy at the airport on the ground, with the lights right and you know you guys are all in the airplane and I'm just kind of trying to uh, I'm not driving anything I'm just kind of saying I think this is where the Lord who the Lord has us and where we're going fair enough and you know we don't do like you know there's the old joke you know hey where's the bat you know some guy hey, where's the bathroom oh it's over there next thing you know you got a big mess so we're not gonna do that so I'm thinking of this in three questions where are we Who are we? And where are we going? Okay? So if you're taking notes, where are we? Who are we? And where are we going? So where are we? We just identified. There's a lot of new people here. And um, we look at that. The way I'm looking at that is, wow, God has brought a lot of people here. Because interestingly, we're, we're going on 15 years as a church. We're not doing anything different than we've ever done. Honestly, we're not kind of having any kind of big strategic plan. We're not like doing any kind of, uh, you know, radical outreach program strategy. We're not doing anything to try to lure anybody necessarily other than just doing what we're doing. And that is to try to faithfully follow the Lord. And so, uh, but as I say that, there are just some pretty interesting Situations. I want to point out a couple if I can, Hope again, I hope I don't embarrass anybody. If I did, if I am, uh, just trust me that I think you're pretty well adjusted, uh, that you can handle this. <laughs> so, there's a family, there's a couple that was living in Chicago earlier this year. Had some health issues, long story short, wound up down, and, and I'm gonna, I may butcher the story a little bit, so forgive me if I do. Um, But wound up down at uh, Mayo Clinic down at Jacksonville, Florida, and um, bump into a guy in Jacksonville, Florida, who graduated from Hanover, and says, you know, you ought to check out Madison, Indiana. And they're like, huh, all right. So on the way back from Florida to Chicago, they swing through Madison, Indiana. They wind up stopping, hanging out someplace, I don't even know where run into a couple from our church within a four or five milliseconds. They're best friends forever, <laughs> right? they go on back to Chicago. They come back and kind of like a scout. Yeah, they're like, you know, we ought, to, we ought to live there. And their friends were telling, telling us, you know, after that first visit, I think these people are going to move to Madison be our best friends forever. I'm like, whatever. They come back for a scouting trip, and I think by the end of that scouting trip, they bought a house in Madison, Indiana, right? From somebody in this church that was trying to sell a house in Madison, Indiana, on sort of a handshake deal, right? Is that weird? Now, I've kind of gotten to know these folks a little bit. I, one of two things. Either the Lord is like supernaturally, almost bizarrely, landed these people here, or they're super impulsive, just flighty people. <laughs> right? I think, I've talked to them enough, I don't think they're super impulsive flighty people, right? There's another one, a couple came here about a year and a half ago. (laughs) Check this out, they're in Las Vegas, from Indiana, felt like maybe the Lord wanted to move back to Indiana, again, I'm going to butcher this story because it's, it's, more complicated than I even, I I sat here on Wednesday and said, okay, explain to me the story again, and 20 minutes later, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to have to summarize it, (laughs) but anyway, she used to work for the state of Indiana, they had some family around the Indianapolis area, she applies for a job with the state of Indiana in Madison County, because Madison County, some of you may know, is like Anderson around Indianapolis, be close to home, and One thing leads to another, and they say, yep, we got your job for you in Madison, Indiana. Uh Right? (laughs) Like there's something weird with the website. Huh. That sounds like somebody running into somebody from Hanover in Jacksonville. Right? We got people here that are just like out of the blue, come from Arizona, from Idaho, And so the Lord is doing something here. Okay? Is that cool? That's super cool. It's always cool when the Lord is doing something. When did the Lord start doing something, by the way? In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Right? Georgia. Don't let me neglect Georgia. Right? God's bringing people here from all over. And yet, that causes us to take note and so I think as we move forward I think it's probably healthy to identify sort of who we are because as we do this, we're coming from different places, we're coming from different backgrounds we all have different sort of theological backgrounds or church backgrounds or personalities or anything like that and so what I'm about to say, you don't have to agree with everything I say but I think it's probably healthy for us to all just know who we are and we can all kind of function as the body of Christ is that fair? So that's kind of of why I want to do this. And as I do that, I think it's important to keep keep in mind we want new people to feel engaged and like they're a part of something that the Lord has put together here. We also want old people. I'm not calling you old, but we want established people, seasoned people. Anybody got any more euphemisms? Seasoned. Faithful. Oh, I like that. Mature. Who said mature? Mature, seasoned, experienced, gray-headed. We want all of you guys to not feel like left out. Is that fair? We move as a body. okay? And so that's kind of where we are. So who we are. I think it's important to identify who we are. Turn if you would, and I'm going to flip through a lot of scriptures if, you, if it's cumbersome to do that. Don't sweat it. But First um, Corinthians chapter twelve, starting in verse twelve, says, "For as the body is one and has many members, all right, the human body." How many human bodies do I have up here? One. One. How many members are within that? How many parts are in that human body? A bazillion, right? And they all function together for the common functioning of the one body. Okay? So it's straightforward science. As the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Now notice this, please. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the, the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism, no division in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. That's a great, great model for us. And I like this particularly. So there's, there's basically two applications to this. Number one, we're one church. We function as a body. Fair enough? And there are many members within that body, right? Right? And just like the human body has different parts that have different functions, we have different members in this body that have different functions, different parts that have different functions. Is that fair? Would it make sense then that we have different parts with different backgrounds, with different personalities, with different bents, with different sort of ministry burdens and different compassions for different things and all of that? Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And yet, what does the body of Christ too often try to do? Well, if I'm like, let's say I'm an I, everybody that's not an I seems a little bit off to me if I'm not careful. Does that make sense? That's exactly what he's talking about here. Because God knew our tendency as humans to want to be like one big happy club of eyes but we're not supposed to function that way. But our tendency is we want to be that way. And so let me just encourage us. Number one, we, and this is a little bit deliberate and it's a little bit what God has put together, but it's no surprise that we have people here from different backgrounds. I'm so thankful for that. We have, different, we have people here from different church backgrounds. We have people here from different uh, economic backgrounds. We have people here from different, with different political backgrounds. Uh, persuasions. We have people here with different struggles, with different victories, and that's how the body of Christ is supposed to be. And it's a glorious thing, I believe, that the Lord has put us together in somewhat of a sort of heterogeneous group, if you will. And we appreciate that. There's another application, and that is This church is really kind of one member of the overall body of Christ. Does that make sense? And so I also appreciate that because what it tells me is we don't have to be the whole body of Christ, right? Well, how does that play out? Well, I don't feel necessarily the need. I hope I'm, again, I don't want to, well, again, you don't have to agree with me. I'm just telling you kind of who we are. But I don't really feel the need to have like, The organ service, the contemporary service, the hip-hop service, and the teenage service, right? Does that make sense? Like, you all know, we're just the hip-hop service, right? No, we're not. We're not the hip-hop service. Scratch that from the tape. But we're just who we are. We're just who we are, right? I'm just who I am. I'm, I'm a child of God. I want to be molded and shaped by Him. I want to be refined by Him. I want to be fine-tuned by Him. I want to be, you know, whittled the rough edges off by Him. All of that. But He has made us this part of the overall body of Christ. Does that make sense? I have dear friends, dear friends in this community that are pastors of churches that look different than ours. That's awesome. That's awesome. If somebody, I've had, <clears throat> I've had people come to this church, and I, I remember one guy not long ago. He came here for a little bit, and he'd been from another church, and he just didn't quite fit, right? And his wife still kind of wanted to go to the other church, and after a little while, he and I kind of, you know, had a meeting and this and that. And, and he was kind of, honestly, kind of hoping that I'd become somebody that I'm really not. And at the end of the meeting, he's like, what do you think I should do? I said, honestly, I think you should go back there. Especially if your wife's still there, right? Mm -hmm. And it was totally peaceable, right? We're not the church for everybody, and that's okay. That's totally okay. But I want us to be the best, most God-honoring version of this that we can. And we do that by faithfully uh, submitting to him. So... We're not the only church. We're not the perfect church, but I think it'd be helpful to identify who we are, the things that maybe make us distinct so we know who that we are. So some distinctives, who we are, so that's kind of where we are, who we are. First some brief history. Everybody okay with brief history? Because we all have sort of uh, where we come from and sort of that sort of thing. So this church is a part of an affiliation of churches called Calvary Chapel churches. Now, Back in the late 60s, early 70s, there was a, really, it was a, it was a revival in many ways all around the world uh, during those, those years. And one particular area uh, was a church called Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California. And the pastor there was a guy by the name of Chuck Smith, who's now with the Lord. And uh, the Lord did amazing things there. And there's been lots of things written about it, movies made about it. There's actually a movie coming out uh, this year. Uh, through the eyes of Greg Laurie, uh called, I believe, The Jesus Revolution. Is that right? Um, about really that that era and Chuck Smith and that church and all of that, right? So anyway, uh, as a part of that, Chuck had some pretty foundational principles that he adhered to that have kind of influenced us, influenced me in a lot of ways. And uh, so you know we are that doesn't necessarily restrict us but it gives us a family of churches if you will we are we are part of a family of churches we're not um, all alone in that regard and so there's affiliate churches all over the world that's you know a lot of our missionary friends are from that background and and some of that sort of thing but Chuck had some core values that uh, that I think were some guiding principles uh, for us and so um, let me go through a few of them. But first of all, before that, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. One of the things that Chuck did was that he had these sort of basic foundational principles, but he gave freedom to pastors to sort of be who God made them to be. Is that? I hope I'm not saying that too weirdly, but there's some freedom within Calvary Chapel. So not every, not every Calvary Chapel church looks identical, and there are some things that are that are that the Lord. I believe the Lord Himself has birthed in my heart um, that are part of that as well. And so this is one of them. Ephesians chapter four, verse uh, verse starting in verse 11. And I've always asked the question, What's the purpose of the church? And I think as we unpack this today, I hope you get the idea that this is really kind of where I think that Um, we need to be. And he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What's the purpose of the church, I believe? for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Whose ministry? Yours. Yours. So again, as we said at the beginning, you know, sometimes we ask the question, what should we do? Or we ask the question, what is God doing? I think this is a foundational thing. What's the purpose of the church? Is to equip you for the work of your ministry. It's a this direction. It's not this direction. Does that make sense? It's very subtle, but it's very important. Very important. Often churches, and there's nothing wrong with this, often churches see the Sunday gathering as the big central event, and the goal is to bring people to the church as much as possible. Is there anything wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that. I think our focus needs to be, well, we want you to come. I'm glad you're here, by the way. We want people to come. Our primary purpose is to come so that you can be equipped for the work of your ministry, and then go out. The ministry is what you do each and every day, and I was talking to somebody even, even before the service. He's got sort of a sphere of influence in his day-to-day life, in his, in his workplace. It's different than mine, right? And if we go through the room, everybody's sphere of influence is different than everybody else's. And I would be a fool to try to orchestrate that with some, si- some sort of big central government, right? Mm-hmm. Number one, I'd be a fool. Number two, I'd be very ineffective, right? God orchestrates it way better than I do, right? Right. No disrespect to me, by the way. <laughs> we want people to come. But our primary purpose is to equip them, equip you to be sent back out. We also want you to see that your daily lives is a life of ministry. Now, if you've been here for a little bit, you know I've harped on this. I've hammered on this. I've beat this. And get used to it. I'm not going to stop. Your life, day by day, is what we call ministry. And why do I hammer on that? Because we have been conditioned as, as a society, as a church in many ways, that ministry is what happens when a guy stands up here or when a guy gets a paycheck from a church or a parachurch organization. That's what we tend to call ministry. And I think it's foundationally contrary to Scripture, if I can just say it as graciously as I can. I mean, does... There has to be some guy that stands up here, <laughs> okay, right? Somebody has to been up here, and if you know the history, you know, um, I didn't really want to be that guy, and even when, I, when we felt like the Lord was supposed to start a church here and all that kind of stuff, I thought I was sort of the temporary guy until the real guy showed up. Well, we're going on 15 years, and he hasn't been here yet, <laughs> so I'm kind of okay with it now, but I wasn't for a long time, right? And and yet, so I've got to do this, but you've got to do your thing. And one is no more important than another. What do we read in 1 Corinthians? Those that seem less honorable. Those that seem more obscure. Those are the ones that God highly values. Highly values. And we need not to forget that. It's important that we serve in our ministries as directed by the Lord, Not by me, not by some man-made obligation, and not by some committee, right? Mm -hmm. Let me tell you another thing. There's often a tendency or a temptation or a struggle or a challenge to sort of grade ministries. Does that make sense? right? Like who has the bigger, better, cooler ministry? Billy Graham or a mama who changes diapers? Society, church, Facebook likes would say Billy Graham, right? I think God would say they're both amazing in their own way. Please catch that. We firmly stand by that here. And, um, and as such, I don't want to burden you down. I don't want people coming feel like my, my worst nightmare would be that somebody feels obligated to show up here for some committee meeting and leave their family neglected at home. Right. Amen. That's my worst fear in church, mm-hmm. right? I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Very few committee meetings here. <laughs> very few, very few. Right. And so we need to keep in mind that our identity is not in what we do. Our identity is in Christ and we are just here to serve him however he has us. And usually you can figure out how he has you by where he has you. Right. If he's got you at home surrounded by little kids, guess what? That's your ministry today. Right. If he's got you in here uh, and somebody pours out their heart to you, that's your ministry in that moment. Right. Right. It doesn't have an assignment. It doesn't have a label. It doesn't have neon lights to go with it. It may not have a paycheck. It may not have a million people saying, wow, you're awesome. But God notices it. God sees it. God acknowledges it. God recognizes it. So, that's the ministry. Please catch that. If, if you catch nothing else, that's the ministry. That's the ministry. You know, we don't want to strategize anything. We want ministry to just happen. And we want it to be led by God. A few weeks ago, somebody had an extra dishwasher. By the way, if anybody needs a dishwasher, um, come talk to me afterwards. But anyway, this guy says, uh, hey, does anybody need a dishwasher? It looks, notice back in the kitchen, you guys don't have a dishwasher. Anybody notice we didn't have a dishwasher back in the kitchen? Right? And he asked my wife, hey, you guys want a dishwasher back here? And my wife, in her amazing wisdom, says, you know what? I appreciate that. But on Wednesday nights, after service is over, a handful of usually women, when I go back there and I I stay away. There's way too much estrogen back there. But... (laughs) So, I'm just kidding, I don't. Sometimes I'll go in and get a glass of water. But My wife says, you know, there's a handful of us that after service on Wednesdays, we kind of gather up the stuff and we come in here and we kind of wash it and dry it and hang out and talk while we're doing that. (laughs) I didn't set those assignments and form that that hand washing that dishwashing committee, right? But it happens, right? That is ministry. If there's one thing I want us to get here today, I want us to redefine ministry and redefine minister. That's one of the that's to me that's the that's the hammer home thing. I come in here last <clears throat> last week walk in the back room over here. There's a bunch of kitchen stuff, right? Well, me being the pastor, kind of got to keep a pulse on things. Looked at my wife and I'm like, what's that? Right? She says, well, came across on the prayer chain a little while back that somebody knew somebody who doesn't even go to this church whose house burnt down and put it out on the prayer chain. And somebody who does go to this church got a burden, wow, that'd be hard. We think maybe we'll just anonymously get some stuff and get it to them. So the stuff's being stored here until it can be delivered, right? I'll tell you how exquisitely I orchestrated that. I didn't even know about it. That's how it ought to roll. That's ministry. Right? Yep. So that's how we roll. So how do we do this? How do we equip the saints for the work of the ministry? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is for the sake of the new people. If you're seasoned or mature or uh, any of those other descriptions we use, You've, you know this, you know I always harp on this, Second Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God, or we can imply the woman of God, or the child of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I like the sound of being complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So how do I get there? By all Scripture. So how do, we do, how do we equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the work of your ministry? How do we equip you for the work of your ministry? We teach the Word. Chapter by chapter, line by line, Genesis to Revelation. The Old Testament and the New Testament all falls under the heading of what we call Scripture. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us that the word of God is living and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The scripture is living and powerful. It's able to give us wisdom. It's able to guide us and lead us, but it's so much more than an information book. It's God's Word to us. It's how God speaks to us primarily, through His Word. So His Word not only instructs us, His Word gives us insight into His character, and again, as I encouraged us earlier, as we read his word, ask him to speak to our heart. Not just our mind, though, yes, our mind. Not just our mind, but our heart. Ask him to speak to our hearts, speak to our lives, speak to our situations through his word. So that's, that's one way. Another tool, Acts chapter 1. We emphasize the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus ascended, he gathered his disciples, and he told them to to wait for the Holy Spirit. Chapter 1, verse 8. He says, you shall receive power. That word power, the Greek word is dunamis. The word we get, our word dynamite. You shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And honestly, if you look at the rest of the book of Acts, what you really see is the Holy Spirit working in the lives of simple people, taking the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, restored a broken relationship that was broken by our own sin gives us an opportunity not only for eternal life in heaven with him as a result of his sacrifice on the cross but also abundant life here on earth that message that message goes throughout the the known world throughout the book of acts how by the power of the holy spirit so much so you think about peter we won't read it for the sake of time peter the night before jesus died how much power did he have like a teenage girl says, "Hey, weren't you one of his disciples?" No, 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 don't, want no, 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 no. She might hurt me, right? Now, some of you teenage girls are scary, right? <laughs> but shouldn't be that scary, right? Three times, Peter denies Jesus. Fast forward, Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And you see Peter stand up and give an amazing sermon not only to teenage girls but to a crowd of people some of whom was hostile to the gospel. Right? 3,000 people get saved that day. What's the difference? Was Peter more studied up? No. The difference is the Holy Spirit. Period. Same guy before and after the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so, that's what we see. We see, uh, we see the Word emphasized, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we see the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the part of the Trinity who lives in us and empowers us to live godly lives. We're told in Scripture, Ephesians five eighteen. 18, we won't turn there, be filled with the Spirit. It says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And the Greek word there, to be filled with the Spirit, is, the the tense of it is to keep on being filled with the Spirit. Be continually filled with the Spirit. Right? And uh, he tells us in Luke chapter 11 verses 11 through 13. He says, I'll read that one. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Right? If a father, if Fathers, if you have children, your children's hungry. Your children are hungry. They ask for a bread. Would you give them a stone? No, you wouldn't do that. Or if you ask for a fish, would you give them a serpent instead of a fish? Like that's <clears throat> some kind of funny joke? No, you wouldn't do that. Or if you ask for an egg, would you offer him a scorpion? No. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? How do we get the Holy Spirit? Do we have to go through like, some kind of special training program in some charismatic church? No. Do we have to know some secret handshake? No. Do we have to be one of those kind of Christians? Well, yes. <laughs> what kind? The kind that asks, Lord, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come upon me. Fill me with your Spirit. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, keep on filling me with your spirit. Give me the power of your holy spirit to carry out that word that I read about and re- referred to in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So I live according to the word by the power of the spirit. Simple as that. And those are the two really just foundational things that we that we do. We got to keep in mind once the holy spirit kind of comes upon us and maybe we are able to give a sermon like Peter did and In the early part of Acts, there's a natural tendency in the human condition that we need to be a little bit warned about. And that's why God gave us the book of Galatians. The warning is this, chapter 3, verse 3 of Galatians Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, so the Bible talks about, and I don't want to get into a lot of doctrinal stuff necessarily, but the Bible talks about the flesh and the Spirit sort of are contrary to one another. We want to be people that live according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We want to say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Come upon me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, Romans chapter 8 tells us. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Just think about that for a second. The same power that took Jesus from a grave to not a grave lives in us. And his name is the Holy Spirit. We as Christians shouldn't be afraid of that. We should be comforted by that. The Holy Spirit's our comforter. And yet, sometimes I believe in the body of Christ, again, because of our backgrounds or whatever. Sometimes we think, I'm not sure I want that. We want it. We want all the Holy Spirit we can get to accomplish His purposes in our lives. And we recognize that there's often a thing that happens, and I wish it weren't true, there's often a thing that happens. Let's say, let's say I, I, we've identified. Let's say you're all in agreement that, wow, it's kind of weird that God brought this weird situation and brought these people from all over the uh, country and God's bringing us together for this community and we're all functioning as a body of Christ. And that's awesome. And it's all a work of the Holy Spirit. Now you know what we can do? We can make it even better. By now that we got these people here, now we can sign them up for committee assignments and strategize and formulate and put together a plan and a vision statement and this and this and this. Now we can really get this thing going. You like that? No. You know what we do when the Holy Spirit has has empowered us, when God has brought people together and God has blessed us? You know what we do? Number one, we say thanks. And number two, we say, what's next? What's next? Right? Yeah. And we don't look much farther than that, frankly. And so the word, the Holy Spirit. He says, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Let me just break that down a second. Cause flesh is one of those churchy words. You ever notice that? Yeah. We have a church vocabulary, right? There's some pretty funny YouTube videos related to that, but we won't show them right now. But the church has its own vocabulary. Flesh is one of those. So I just want to, if, if I could just make the, any kind of obscurity about that word go away. There's basically two applications of the word flesh. Flesh is that part of me that wants my sinful desires and I want them now. Does that make sense? Yeah. We don't need to go much farther than that, right? If I'm my appetite wants this and it wants it now, Right? Then that's my flesh. There's another f- application of the word flesh that he's referring to here having begun in the spirit, you're be, now being made perfect in the flesh. The flesh is sort of my man-made strength, or my, my man-strength, right? Doing things in a man-made strategy, doing things on my own, doing things not with the leading of the spirit, but with the leading of Scott Murphy. You don't want the leading of Scott Murphy, you want the leading of the spirit. Maybe and whatever comes through me, being led by the Spirit, being directed by God, that's okay. But the flesh is that man-made strategy thing that we so often call church. We might even call it church work. Might even call it church duty, right? And we don't want to go there. Having been gun in the spirit, and I believe we're we'll begun in the spirit. Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? We don't want to be made perfect by the flesh. Now, as I say these two things, we emphasize the Word, we emphasize the Holy Spirit. Would it make sense that, again, back to the body of Christ thing that we talked about early on, would it make sense that some people, maybe by your background, maybe by your personality, maybe by the way God has wired you, some people are a little more spirit-minded, Some people are a little more word-minded, right? Some people are like all about doctrine. Is that okay? That's okay. Don't neglect the Spirit. Some people are all about Spirit. Is that okay? You bet it's okay. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we can be so about the Word that we're dead, and we can be so about the Spirit that all we care about is our feelings and whether or not we felt like there was a warm wind. Fuzzy feeling. Yeah, fuzzy feeling. Warm, fuzzy feeling. Yeah. Right? Now, if you get a warm, fuzzy feeling from the Holy Spirit and it's consistent with the Word, great. That's, good. that's awesome. If you carry out your doctrine by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's great. Remember the Sadducees that came to Jesus and they were always trying to trip Him up? And they said, hey... Moses said in the law that if a guy is married and he dies, then his brother has to marry his widow uh, to carry on the family name. Remember that story? Right? They said, hey, we knew some guy. I don't think they knew this guy. But anyway, we knew this guy. And he died. And his brother went to marry his widow. And then the brother died. And there were like seven of them. And they all died. I would say it's another problem. Right? (laughs) Said So when they get to heaven, which one of those guys is going to be the husband of that that gal? You know what Jesus said? He said, you don't know the Word or the power of God. Right? These two go together. They're like both absolutely necessary. Now, it would make sense, and again, this is why I'm kind of harping on this a little bit, because some people are a hand, and some people are an eye, and some people are a foot, and some people are... You know, whatever, right? They're both critical. They're both critical. So, can I ask us, as the body of Christ, if our background is more sort of leaning one way, don't think the other side is wrong or weird or different or anything like that. Just embrace it, right? And let's walk together as the body of Christ, right? And... That's how he wants us to function, I believe. Another, I think, sort of foundational principle. So, we're equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. We're redefining ministry and minister. We equip with the word, equip with the spirit. I believe also we equip, or God equips, with community, and community is important, it's vital, it's vital, and so we encourage community, we encourage prayer for one another, the break time that we have is deliberate, it's intentional, I know some of you think I'm like, got lost during break time, right, because it's, I gotta go to lunch, right, it's deliberate, it's very intentional. We hang out after service, right? If you want to hang out after service, Tracy i will be the last ones out the door, right? And uh, as of today, by the way, uh, we're, you can have coffee before service. Fair enough? So coffee is now available. Thank you very much. Coffee at 9.30, right? Come to church early? Wait a minute, I'm about to have a seizure. Yeah, you can come at 9.30, okay? 9.30 coffee served, all right, every Sunday morning. Community is vital to who we are. Proverbs says, he who walks with wise men will be wise. And we need to be those people. We need to receive and give. And we come with that expectancy. Can I tell us this? We come with the expectancy that we are a part of a body of Christ. I can't emphasize that enough. So those are sort of our main distinctives. Is that fair? Those are our sort of our main principles. We now have, some, I want to move, I'm, not, I'm almost done, bear with me. There are some things I would say are sort of level two distinctives, right? Not necessarily things handed down by Chuck Smith or anything like that, but things that I think God has birthed in, in my heart and as, as sort of, leading this church, I think, where God would have us as a body. Is that fair? So these are not like deal breakers. You don't have to agree with this. But it's sort of how we're wired a little bit. We don't segregate by age. We kind of discourage age segregation. Okay. Um, Now, part of that's because we're a relatively small church and we can get away with that. And, you know, God is God of order. We don't want chaos and all that. But we have... Class for little kids, uh, like preschool age kids. If somebody, if a parent wants to not put their kids in class and have them in here, that's awesome. If that distracts me, that's my problem, right? And you know, if it's if they're going berserk, well, we got ushers for stuff like that. But but by and large, you know, if you want your kids in here, learning along with you. That's awesome, and I want to always be a guy that can teach to, hopefully in a way that will relate in some way to adults and kids, and then also, like, if you have a baby or whatever, and um, uh, you want to take advantage of the speakers outside, right? Yep, yep, We've got a few examples of this right now, so that's awesome, I won't embarrass them either, um, but so you can take your baby outside, right, still hear everything I'm saying, and, It's kind of the best of both worlds. You can hear me, but I can't hear you. So that's awesome. So I think it's important, if we're a body of Christ, that we come together of all ages, of all backgrounds, and honestly, I hope this doesn't step on any toes, I don't see anywhere in Scripture that a gathering of believers is broken down by age and grade. And segregated. And I don't see anywhere in Scripture that, and I want to be careful. You know, I've already talked about we need to redefine ministry. There's a subtle thing that goes on in the body of Christ that if, if we don't fully grasp this redefined idea of ministry, sometimes we can think that real ministry is only what happens in a grown-up realm. Does that make sense? So in order to accomplish our real ministry, we got to basically parcel out the kids so we can get down to business. Okay, again, I don't think that's biblical. I think God, you know, what it, when Jesus when they brought the children to Jesus, right? And the disciples said, "No, we got to do real ministry," right? Jesus was not happy about that. And Jesus dealt with that. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me. So I'm all about kids in this room. If you want to have your kids in this room, bring it on. You know, as our kids were growing up, we kind of held to this. And and, and Tracy and I, to be fair, Tracy and I were involved in youth ministry for years when we were first married. And we loved it. We thought it was awesome. What we found over the years, at least in our experience, was if you aren't careful, there's sort of two different churches. There's the youth church, and there's the grown-up church. Literally, we were at a, this is so funny, I was teaching junior high in the youth church uh, one time. This was way back in the early 2000s. And, uh, um, And the building was a separate building where the youth met. And literally it got to where like the junior high and high school kids, like the, they would come, they would come in one car, and mom and dad would come in the other car to their two different buildings, kind of like two different churches. And I remember asking one time, um it's maybe too tangential, but it's um, I'm in too deep already. So um, I was making an example about Bill Hudnut, you may or may not know, he was the mayor of Indianapolis when I was a kid. That's beyond trivia. And anyway, I asked the kids in this, the junior high kids, I said, does anybody know who Bill Hudnut is? And one kid raised his hand, he says, is he the pastor of that other church over there? That was Bill Goodrich, actually, and he was the pastor of your church, kid, <laughs> right? I knew we had a problem that day, right? So, all that to say... Age segregation, you know what it does? It causes segregation. And so, again, that may just be my quirk. Bear with me. You don't have to agree with me, but that's kind of who we are. Um, Next, sort of, if you will, level two distinctive, we have a vision to encourage our missionary friends. We have dear missionary friends all over the world, and we have a vision to encourage them and to partner with them. And then finally, we are financially conservative, we operate on a low overhead, we have no staff salaries, and we don't take an offering. Again, if, I mean, you can give an offering, but we don't take an offering. I hope that makes sense. And I I love, one of the things I love about this church is when a new person comes, they've been here about three weeks, and after a while they're like, So I'm waiting for, like, that time in the service when we pass the plates, and then we sing the doxology afterwards. Like, when is that? I'm like, there's a box in the back. If you're looking for it, you can find it. Right? And that's how we do money. Okay? Okay. we're a little bit unique that the Lord has blessed us and allowed us to do that. And uh, again, not every church can do that. Some, if a church is big enough, you have to have staff salaries sooner or later. And uh, uh, thankfully, we don't have to do that. And so, as a part of that, again, this is now, we're now getting pretty deep into my quirks, okay? Nothing's ever for sale here. Nothing's ever for sale. We give, we equip it goes this direction, it never comes this direction. If you ever see a book on the back table, it's for you. It's not for sale, does that make sense? So again, subtle, quirky, I admit it, but uh, it's born out of principle. So, so that's who we are, all right? Everybody okay with that? Yes. No tomatoes yet? That's who we are. Uh, where are we going? Finally, where are we going? And just briefly, Acts 2.42. This is really, in my mind, the model of church vision. Again, this is the early church. The early church was, in many ways, the model church. I mean, they weren't without problems, but they were the model church. Acts 2.42 says, They continued steadfastly. Can you notice that word steadfastly? It doesn't say they continued when they were in the mood, they continued lackadaisically, they continued if they felt like it. No, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So as a church, where are we going as a church? I believe we're going according to Acts 2.42, which is honestly where we've always gone. The apostles' doctrine, what what that means is we teach the word. We teach it steadfastly, we teach it diligently. Fellowship. We continue to encourage healthy community of believers. We have intentional times of hanging out and of break and of drinking coffee. And if you want to take advantage of those things, they're here. Can I just pause for one second? There was a guy a few years back, no longer lives in Madison now, so don't try to figure out who it is. Came here for a couple weeks, or for a few weeks, he and his wife. Last one in, first one out. No real sort of engagement, if you will. And I remember after, and didn't stay here long. That's okay. But I maintained a relationship with him, and I remember going out to lunch with him one one day a few months after all this. You know, told me. He said, man, me and my wife are starved for fellowship. And I'm like, I, I, I couldn't say anything. I couldn't say anything. He did not see that it was right under his nose. Is that possible to do here? Yeah. Is it possible for God to do something cool and us not recognize it because we're human beings? Totally. 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 So, these opportunities are available. We're going to encourage steadfastly into the apostles' doctrine. We're going to encourage steadfastly into fellowship. Breaking of bread, I believe, has two applications. One is the time of communion that we share uh, once a month. That keeps us mindful of what Jesus did for us, which is the foundation of who we are. And then also... Eating together. We eat together on Wednesdays. We're going to eat together here in a little bit. Right? That sort of encourages fellowship and community as well. Right? And in the New Testament, in the, we know from the Corinthian church that, you know, their time of communion was part of their love feasts. And so, you know, for them it kind of ran together. But uh, for us, you know, those are both applications. And then prayers. They continue steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. And so the prayers are, we look to the Lord for, for everything we do. Not ourselves. Not our own vision. Not our own strength. And we want to have a prayer life that's intimate. Not just giving God a Christmas list, but living life in fellowship with God who wants to have fellowship with us. That's a healthy prayer life. As a church, we have a prayer chain. If uh, you're not a part of that, please tell Abby. She'll She'll get set up with you. And we have a prayer cha- like the folks that their kitchen burned down or their house burned down. Uh, that stuff comes out on the prayer chain. And then we have monthly prayer nights. So that's how we're moving forward, I believe, where we're going as a church. We're going according to Acts 2.42. As individuals, and just finally, I want to just say this. say so where am I going as an individual, as a part of this church? Second Peter chapter 1, I think, gives us some insight into this. Because again, I want us to reset, I want us to do a reset on our definition of ministry and how we're to be equipped for this ministry. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 12, Paul, uh, uh, Peter says, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. What's he doing? He's reminding us of what we already know. Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of what? These things after my decease. I heard a guy teach about this. Several years ago, says, it's always stuck with me in a beautiful way. So what are these things? He keeps talking about these things. He's going to remind us of these things. What are these things? Turn back to chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and the apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which, we have been given, which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world that is in the world through lust. So God has saved us and allowed us to be a part of this thing we call Christianity. But he says, but also for this very reason, these are the things. "...giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness." And has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. And so these things, can I just point out, if you go back and and just meditate over these things, these things are character qualities. They're not duties. They're not ministry tasks. They're character qualities of a godly life. And if we have these things, then we will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of him. And so it's the activity of the Christian life that grows out of a healthy Christian life. A healthy relationship with God births the if you will ministry that we want to see happen. Does that make sense? So as a church, we go forward according to Acts 2:42. As individuals, I would encourage us to go forward according to 2nd Peter chapter 1. And as we do that, can I tell us this? Can I just exhort us as a body to gather here as a part of a body with a certain expectancy. We have the privilege to worship the Lord on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. We worship Him together. We worship Him collectively. We have set aside that time to give praise and honor and glory to God and to, and to affirm who he is and all he's done in our lives and give him thanks. It's not a concert. It's not a warm-up for the teaching. It's an opportunity to praise and honor and, glory, uh, and give glory to God. And if I can encourage us, if we're able, and again, I don't want to lay a trip. I'm paranoid about land trips. The worship team will prayerfully try to help us in that endeavor to worship God. But it's a decision in our own heart whether or not we come with an expectancy that, oh my goodness, it's Sunday morning, I get the privilege of worshiping God. And it is a privilege. And I count it as such. And I come with an expectancy that I'm going to have... The privilege of worshiping God. And by the way, when we get to heaven, if you read in Revelation, I believe chapter 4, the description of the throne room, you know what we're going to be doing forever and ever and ever and ever and ever? Worshiping God. It's, It's heaven practice. It's heaven practice. So, can I encourage us? Come with an expectancy to worship Him. Can I encourage us? Come with an expectancy to learn from His Word. We're not learning just history. We're not learning just poetry. We're not learning just doctrine. We're hearing from His Word, from the Word of God. Can I encourage us to come with an expectancy to be encouraged by His people who are living in community? Healthy fellowship with others is hearing what God is doing in their lives. That can be very, very encouraging. And then finally, can I encourage us to come with an expectancy to encourage others? When we gather, we're not coming just to receive. We're coming to be equipped for the work of our ministry, and part of that ministry is to function as the body of Christ, to learn and grow together as the body of Christ, and to encourage one another by listening, by praying, You know, the most ministerial thing we can do oftentimes is just listening. Just be in an ear. Be in somebody who would pray for that need. And it happens in this room. I don't want anybody to miss it. So, God's always at work. God's working here. God has established us. We want to be Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we want to be equipped for the work of your ministry. We want to do it as a body, having different members, different backgrounds, different bents, but all one body. We want to move according to the principles of Acts 2.42. We want to move individually as um, according to the principles of 2 Peter chapter 1. I believe he equips us, I believe he empowers us, and I believe he invites us to participate. It's up to us if we do. If you don't, I'm not mad at you. But, you know, my kids will tell you, growing up, there was one thing that I just couldn't handle with my kids. And that's if somebody felt, that's if somebody did something that made the others feel left out. I don't want anybody to feel left out. I don't want anybody to feel left out. God is doing a cool thing here, and I want everybody to recognize it and to be a part of it. So let's pray. Lord, we do really thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you, in your grace, would allow this body to gather and become a body and Lord we are humbled that you would do that in our midst here and yet we're thankful and we don't take it lightly and we ask that you would just continue to do whatever it is you'd like to do in us and through us by your spirit according to the principles of your word according to the leading by your word the leading by your spirit lord help us to just enjoy your goodness and lord as i uh, think now as we gather for this meal we pray that you'd bless it to us that it would bring nourishment to us and that you'd bless our fellowship all in jesus name amen